Welcome to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast with Alex Dean and Brian Cunningham. Here we have a drink, have a laugh, and you just might learn something about our favorite stories from history. Please visit our website at hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you like the show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Cheers. Welcome, everyone, to the 48th episode of the Hidden History Happy Hour, recorded live in London from the amazing High Timber Restaurant. Special thanks to all of our fans that are here and to Palantir Technologies, who has made this possible, and to the amazing High Timber Restaurant. If you're ever in London, you must show up here. Am I right, Alex? Yeah, this is definitely the first time I've ever said this, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, I, 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 and we're definitely not recording this for the second time because it didn't work the first time, <laughs> uh, which is a very meta thing to say on a podcast. Uh, High Timber is a tremendous restaurant that I've um, been uh, coming to for some 15 years. And most importantly, for my purposes, uh, they were ge kind, generous and kind enough to um, supply a very decent rate, the wine that I enjoyed at my wedding. My wife is uh, here with us uh, tonight. Is there anyone who's been following the podcast will know she she is inevitably long-suffering and very patient, um, and the restaurant is tremendous. It is as close to our hearts as the Von Bar in New York uh, is to us in London, it is the home of the Hidden History Happy Hour in um, London. And I will also just say, and this will be a huge surprise to this audience, mm -hmm. I'm drinking tonight. And uh, of course, I don't drink during Lent. Uh but and, branding. Uh, they're all wondering why how, how possibly could i be having a drink uh, given that it, we are in lent and i will tell you this closely kept uh, calculation uh, very quiet secret uh, the answer that you would never have guessed is that i save up my sundays as my father mm -hmm. taught me um the, my father appears regularly in the books and, uh, and in our podcast episodes and he taught me to save up our Sundays. We were, of course, very rigorous um, uh, members of the Church of England, which means you just about possibly believe in God. Uh, <laughs> Unless you have a tea so time. Everything is pretty flexible. Uh, but you, because Lent is longer than 40 days, you save up your feast days and you See? can use them when you like. So we're recording not a Thursday, or not, not a Sunday, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's a Sunday. And for my part, with my father being a, a minister in the Episcopal Church of the United States, which is the Anglican Church, the Church of England in the United States, although we're suspended right now. Yeah. Why? Because we allow gay marriage and we allow female priests, but much like the NCAA, they don't really want to kick us out because we make too much money for the Church of England. So they're like, just go hang out for a couple of years and we'll let you back in once you've seen the error of your ways. But nonetheless... I am highly observant. And my father told me what you must do every Lent is give up green peas. And I have done that yet again. I'm enjoying all the booze I want. I'm not restricting my lifestyle at all, but the peas are gone. Now, how many peas do I eat the rest of the year? None. But still, it's a big sacrifice. Now, look, thank you so much to all of our loyal fans for being here for episode 48. It's kind of an amazing thing, Alex, that we're, we're 48 episodes in. We're almost at our one-year anniversary. Yeah. We have never repeated a story, as far as I remember. I did once. <laughs> you weren't there, and I was a bit drunk. Uh, Fair. So, but 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 so you you you've never repeated a story. How's that? Well, it's nice that you're on brand. Yeah. Now look, we're going to get to some great stories from 
Lessons from History by, wait, that's not going to be on camera. Lessons from History by our own Alex Dean. And, and I can't even begin to tell you how many marketing dollars were spent coming up with the perfect title for the sequel, More Lessons from History. We're going to tell some stories from both, and we're going to be uh, really enjoying ourselves, and we're hoping for a lot of participation from all of you loyal fans. However, I have to say, this will be the current events portion of our show. That's going to be a little more serious than the rest of the show because, ladies and gentlemen, we are recording this on the evening of the one-year anniversary of Russia's unprovoked, brutal, illegal, and even I would say at this point, mark this for the future, boss, genocidal invasion of Ukraine. And we would be remiss if we did not praise the breathtaking bravery and creativity of the Ukrainian people. Cheers. Cheers. Slava Ukraini. Slava Ukraini. But also the, I would say slightly short of incredible support of the United States and the British government in this effort. It really is like things that we, we, read about from history, and now we're living. And I have to say, I think the British have led the way. Thank you. But I also think our president, Biden, going to Kiev last week, literally with air raid sirens sounding while he's walking around the square with uh, Zelensky. Also, as it turns out, during a failed ICBM test by Russia, is amazing. So cheers to everyone. Cheers Thank to you for supporting it. Cheers and we that. really appreciate it. I, I have an interesting echo from history on that because I was, uh, I was reading what it takes about the 1988 presidential election. Uh, some of our friends were talking about it last night. And then I, so I turned up a copy and was, was looking at it. And it starts with a story of Vice President Bush going to throw out a baseball at the ceremonial first pitch and um, which is a big thing and yeah i know it's a big deal but it's within the continental united states and it sets out the remarkable security protocols mm -hmm. that go with the vice president to go and throw a ball within the continental united states where it is presumably pretty safe and the extraordinary measures that are gone to um in, in order to ensure the safety of that uh, of that person if you imagine the commitment that is meant by taking your president on a flight to uh, Eastern Europe in a war zone, taking a nine hour, 10 hour train ride. Where your, we have no air superiority no and no troops on the ground. Your president's commitment to Ukraine, I thought was remarkably impressive. And um, I, I'm, no inor I'm no innate fan of President Biden, but this week I've really admired him. To President Biden and to the British prime ministers who seem to always stiffen our spines at the right time. Now, for those of you keeping score at home, the current tally several weeks out since you, and we talked about airspace protection, mm. from the original shoot down of the Chinese spy balloon that flew entirely over the continental United States, crossing over our sensitive military sites, is one Chinese spy balloon shot down and three most likely small, cheap civilian objects, perhaps a bad day for the Lake Huron High School Science Club. Also hitting the drink. I mean, like it's probably worth the collateral damage, but I have to note this. And those of you who have watched our episodes on unidentified flying objects and know my family's history with this will appreciate this. From 
the White House podium last week, the following was said, quote, I just want to make sure we address this from the White House. I know there's been questions and concerns about this, but there is no, again, no current indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. Now, we have in this crowd a Navy, U.S. Navy fighter pilot. We have an infinite number of technology experts, and we have people that follow current events very closely, to which, Alex, I must pose the question, what the actual fuck? They were perfectly entitled to, to say that, given that, one, the, the initial holding statement was, we don't know what it was we shot down. Right. So if that's your opening position, it's reasonable to say, well, whatever it was, it wasn't aliens. Uh, and two, and we've discussed this before on the show a couple of times, it's immensely arrogant in considering the space of the numberless galaxies in the universe that we occupy. It all molds of us, but let's let's restrict ourselves to to conventional science for the rarest moment before we have another drink. Um, given the galaxies that are um, in our universe and our planet in its tiny uh, infinitesimally insignificant solar system, the arrogance to believe that we are the only life forms in the universe on this planet seems to me to be absurd. So then the debate gets into whether the aliens got here first or we will visit them later. And given that in the history of the galaxy, our solar system's pretty young in the scheme of things. It's much younger than other solar systems in the galaxy. And our galaxy, our galaxy is pretty young in comparison to many other galaxies in the universe. The odds are aliens have been here already. So it may be they're not very interested in us. It may be that they came during an interesting time and then left when the cinema closed. Uh, or it may be uh, that uh, they the, the universe is just so big that they visited other places, but they haven't got around to us or yet. Or are but we in the Matrix? I, I think this statement from the White House is completely reasonable, which is not something I normally say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, not normally in 2022. Now... Oh, between 2016 and 2020, I said it all the time. I have all the time. As a matter of fact, I know I've said this before on the podcast, but I was awakened. Honestly, I wasn't awakened because I was watching the TV constantly on election night 2016 by a text from Alex in which he said after it was cl somewhat clear that Trump was at least going to be in contention to be the winner. I've spoken with the queen. I just want you to know you're welcome back anytime. Make America Great Britain again. Then it's your option now. Speaking as we were of Chinese spy balloons at 80,000 feet, our first story from Show It, Volume 2, more lessons from camera. history. I don't even know my camera's on anymore. I don't care, but let's go. Is about Apollo 16. Now, I didn't stutter. You might think I meant Apollo 13, the story heroically portrayed on screen by American treasure Tom Hanks. And by the way, you come to visit our country, you don't say Tom Hanks. You don't say Thomas Hanks. You say American treasure Tom Hanks. It's like British treasure Judy Dench. It's a phrase. It's solid. You have to say it. This is not that story. This is the story of Apollo, Apollo 16, and it's in More Lessons from History, Volume 2, Chapter 61. And Alex, 
Let's hear about Apollo 16. Thanks very much. That's a sweet way you, you introduced it. It's like uh, America's dad, Bill Cosby. I remember when you guys used to, uh, used, to well, used to say that. You, know, you, okay. don't, you don't just seem to say it so much anymore. Right. I don't know. To, it's, to, uh, okay, I don't watch be, the news enough. To, anyway, be, uh... to be fair, <laughs> to be fair, he's America's stepdad. But go ahead. All right. Um, so I once knew a chap who uh, it was beaten in the final stages of a debating uh, competition by, by someone that he felt was far beneath him. Uh, by the way, this wasn't me echoing myself, which had been widely accused, it so of, was. widely accused of being. I'll tell you afterwards who it was. But um, And he said this magnificently dismissively, I feel like I tripped over an ant and broke my neck. Uh, and that reminded me of this story of the commander of Apollo 16, he must have felt much the same. This was NASA's penultimate trip to the moon in 1972. For now. Uh, for now. But well, okay. So penultimate so far, but there's been a pretty big gap, right? It, Most sad. of the guys who've been to the true, moon yes. are, are no longer. Anyway, um, it was beset by the kind of technical difficulties made famous uh, by many uh, movies. But long story short, they made it. They get to the moon. Um, I hope it's important. Um, their main... uh, the 1970s are calling. Yeah, That's your ringtone. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass the guy. It could be very important. No, no take it. Let, let us know. Let us know who it is. Please, so just uh, come back whenever the, you're ready. He's, he's creeping, it's gonna be creeping great. away. He's going to come back. He says, He'll be I, like, what the fuck happened I, with Apollo 16? Really bad. I just found out it was alien. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so the main scientific mission of Apollo uh, 16, unless he's going to correct me, that's an astronaut was calling in. Always a possible. Was to seek to understand the formation of the moon. They were going to measure heat flow under its surface. Uh, and of course, that had this had really quite important historic echoes because this same scientific test was the mission of Apollo 13, which famously didn't make it. So um, they were going with a, a real um, uh, mission. Um, the cost of the experiment was a cool in 1972, $1 million, uh, which is quite a lot of money. Uh, and you may have seen this coming, but their experiment was completely thwarted they had a camera set up to beam images back to earth and an audience very large earthside watched with bated breath as mission command uh john young uh went about setting up nasha's station on the moon and people on the moon as you've no doubt noticed move very slowly and the moon is a long way away and messages take time to reach it and thus it was, just as my quiet message to the person at the back of the restaurant to please shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, might take a while to reach friends of ours who are in the restaurant, but in the end, they'll get it. I mean, bloody hell. I mean, bloody hell. It was an exquisite, long drawn out, uh, unable to warn agony that meant the team on Earth could see that the vital cable for the experiment for the heat flow uh, um, evaluation, was wrapped around Young's moon boot, tighter and tighter, and moving with him, and tighter, and one small step for man, one giant pratfall for John Young, and the equipment on the moon. Think of the. The, the cost in 1972 of this uh, transporting that the cost is prohibitive to move that uh, to that place and uh, entirely destroyed as with any such exploration um 
much was gained, Brian, in the going in other ways. They picked up some rocks. Uh, they did some side experiments. Probably drank some tang. Uh, they I'm probably thinking. drank some tang. That's a good reference and a good throwback uh, to a past reference. But really, the point is, mind your step. And I got two bonuses for you. Part one, 1962, Mariner 1 heading to Venus, or oh, that was the plan, had to abort because um, a rocket went off course. And the cause was a single missing hyphen, perennially misabused by Americans anyway. A single missing hyphen. Wasn't it a in dash, NASA, was it? It was, an, it was a hyphen in the NASA um, uh, coding software. That cost in 1962 is $18.5 uh, million. And when I published the book uh, last year i know inflation's bit so this number will be out that was 160 million dollars that's a 160 million dollar hyphen and so next time you feel you've made a mistake in some in a document take solace or a, a typo in a um an email remember someone's gone far worse and the second uh this is particular interest to our american friends i think um the rest of the world goes day month oh year. god with this again does this, does this sound this, this is sound a thousand completely percent of bullshit debate co completely unreasonable to you day month year right the whole rest of the world just like when we have a world cup we invite the rest of the world along right so day day month year the mars climate orbiter <sighs> launched in 1998 not 1898, 1998, the Mars Climate Orbiter uh, was meant to, as the name suggests, study the Mars uh, climate. It's not just a clever it name. entered then. the atmosphere on the wrong trajectory, and you'll never guess why. They were on the Imperial system, and the thing they plugged it into was on the metric system. Cost in 1998 uh, dollars, a mere bargain at $328 million dollars for putting it in on the imperial system. And at the time of writing my book uh, last year, that was a cool $500 million. Not counting interest. In, in, indeed. And with inflation heading the way it, it is, it, that will soon, I assume, equal infinity dollars. So that was my story. Well, there's a, there's a, a few things to say about this. First of all, I was pleased this morning when I got up in my hotel room and my scale told me I had lost 0.4 stones overnight. So <laughs> congratulations for your for your modern uh, system over here. But secondly, and uh, non-trivially, um, our President Obama, uh, who I served with a bunch of other presidents, um, well, not that the other presidents served him, I served other presidents, uh, pretty much straight up canceled our manned space program in the United States. Yeah, I, I, and... Um... From a crowded field, I thought that was the worst thing done yeah. by a president in the 21st century. And the reason I say that is that most decisions you make may impact um, uh, the people around you. It may impact your domestic economy. It may impact the generation to come. But few things limit the horizon of humanity's hope and potential for humanity's uh, future. We have all our eggs in one basket. And existentially, that is a, an absurd position to be in. Once you can explore you should and it's a retrogressive step to go backwards so i i i, I lamented your presence well and and whether you believe in climate change whether you have religious apocalyptical beliefs whether you just have like read an article on astronomy at some point humanity will have to get off this planet and 
as far as I'm concerned, anyone who's working on that is probably okay in my book. Not that they wouldn't have other problems, Elon Musk, but they're, they're okay in my book. Now, second thing is this. Why doesn't Britain have a space program? We do. Uh, we uh, participate with our friends in Europe, Brian, and you don't have to be in the EU to do that. <laughs> All right. Well, I am so tempted to open that can of worms, that Pandora's box, and just chat. Well, as it turns that. out, everyone in the UK is completely relaxed about Brexit now. It's it's totally fine. Yeah, it's all no, good. No one has it's, any it's problems with good. it. It's, yeah. all, it's all fine. Yeah. Sadly, we must move on. And ladies and gentlemen, if you thought the astronauts of Apollo 16 had it bad, Alex is going to tell us about the girl who fell from the sky. And I'm happy to report that this story involves our first in-person hat tip. And I'll tell you why that is. Because I got three stories in volume two. I've never got a fucking in-person hat tip. But someone's about to. Proceed. Uh, As I look at my acknowledgement section i see the name brian cunningham before i yeah, see but it's the... not tied to those three stories is it? uh yeah but yeah but this is a better story than yours i'm gonna look to the person who gave me the story i'm gonna say if you want your twitter name it's thumbs up and if you want your real name it's thumbs down uh looks like oh. thumbs up for the oh. thumbs up for the artist known as silver also uh was All an right. almost unmasking right there. Oh, uh, I, look, I, if you say you choose, I'm always going to be privacy protected. So that's fair. I think that's, that's the responsible fair. thing to, to do. Uh, Christmas Eve, 1971. Julianne Capecchi uh, boards a flight with her mother. She's 17. It's from Peru's capital, which is no, this is not our pub quiz question, so I'll spoil it for you. It's Lima uh, to Pucallpa, which is a city in the east of uh, Peru. And they were going to see her father, who was a zoologist working in the Amazonian rainforest. Half an hour into the flight, deep cloud cover, they experience increasing turbulence. Luggage compartments fly open. Bags fall into the aisles and fall onto the passengers. Think about how much people overpack. Very unpleasant. (laughs) Then panic uh, sets in. And only then, after those things have happened and people are running down the aisle and shouting and screaming does lightning strike the aircraft and the plane explodes. It breaks into parts. Still strapped into her seat, Julianne fell from the plane, passes out. She wakes up deep in the Peruvian rainforest and she had fallen over 10,000 feet. Uh, She suffered relatively minor injuries and why such miracles happen in our lives um, is near impossible to explain we can think of air currents and and so forth she was still in a row of three seats which may have acted as a kind of parachute people have you can look it up online and you people are have tried to create experiments which will explain how you can survive we know that she did we don't know how it has been the subject of a lot of speculation but you know when you're the person who hits the ground at speed in the middle of the amazonian rainforest you're not first of all thinking about i wonder how that happened Um, Yeah, physics is not on your mind. Exactly. She had grown up at her father's station in the Amazonian rainforest, and she had some jungle knowledge. Uh, But her circumstances are suboptimal, and I describe them as follows. Um, I think we'll all agree this is entirely fair. She was suffering from a certain amount of shock. Um, She had concussion. Uh, She had a broken collarbone. 
she had a, a, a very bad gash on her leg from which she was bleeding heavily and not a soul uh, from the crash or otherwise for, to whom she was related or otherwise uh, was to be seen as far as she could tell. And she gave those circumstances and as she tells it, passed out again. Uh, who can blame her? Some hours later, she manages to uh, revive herself. She looks around. She finds a small stream. She knew because of the training she'd had you follow water downstream. This may be the most useful thing you get from the Hidden History app hour, so pay attention. Plus booze uh, remedies. Plus, uh, our plus tips we can give you on a cocktail for the morning after the night before. But for the for life-saving purposes, let's imagine this is the most important thing. Follow a, water, a body of water downstream to a bigger body of water, which will lead you eventually to civilization and to help. And she set off on that logic following... And she's 17, right? She's 17 following the tiniest uh, rivulet of water, not for an hour or two, for days. And she rested when she needed to, and she slept um, when it was forced upon her. On the fourth day, she finds the first sign of anything from the crash. It is three other passengers still attached to their seat, buried headfirst in the ground so deep they're in up to their waists. And... Um, Upon one of those bodies, she finds a bag of sweets. That is all she has to eat for her entire time in the rainforest. For our North American viewers, what are sweets? Uh, candy. Candy. Huh. Hey, shut up back there. Uh, she longed for the sound of a human voice, but not Brian's. <laughs> uh, That's fair, actually. She carries on with her journey, and she can see... And occasionally through the thick forest canopy here, as you can hear and occasionally see uh, helicopters and, and planes, but there's no sign that they've spotted her at all. And she has no way of attracting their attention. Um, so she knows they're looking for survivors, but it must be. She knows that she walked for three days before she found the next sign of the wreckage. It must be spread over an impossibly large area. And she knows the chances of them finding her are incredibly small. Because looking doesn't equal finding. It's another useful lesson lesson in life. Um, Peru's authorities, for a long time after this, by the way, couldn't find the down plane, let alone a little girl limping through a rainforest, nursing her still broken collarbone, I remind you. I mean, we can't find the three objects we shot down after the Chinese spy balloon. I think you found so... one of them. No, I don't think we did. Uh, you definitely Just found the more... balloon. We you found the balloon. You found more than one heckle. Uh, so... She finally, Kapeki, finds a small clearing hut on her ninth day in the forest. On her ninth day, she finds a hut and uh, she enters it and she finds there's a, some gasoline and uh, in the hut. And she pours the gasoline on herself because she wants to get rid of the maggots that are in her leg wounds by that point. Enjoy your dessert, everybody. Yeah. Uh, and then she sat down, and as she recalls, uh, she thought to rest and to die. And the uh, woodcutters that used that hut from time to time, on a very large tour of the forest, so lucky uh, for her, uh, come and find her. She is overjoyed. That is not initially reciprocated. She looks so unhuman. They think she must be something unnatural. They think she is a forest sprite, a river sprite that has been delivered 1970s. Uh, to them to uh, torment them rather than human. But whether by fear or by a desire of appeasing that, they allow her to stay in the hut 
And in the end, when they realize she's a person, they take her to the nearest town and then to the nearest boat. And then there it is after 11 days in the jungle, she returns to civilization. It turns out 14 other passengers from the flight had survived the crash, but died before help could reach them. She was the only survivor of flight 508. And in closing, um, her resilience, I want to, to point out, not only because of what she did, because she recovered in, in impressive fashion, she went on to take a doctorate, uh, start a family, and recover to the point that, magnificently, weirdly, given his body of work, she goes back to the crash site with Werner Herzog, uh, and uh, who then directs a film on the crash, and she sits in the same seat on the little plane flying out to the crash scene that she'd occupied when she fell from it and was the girl that fell from the sky. Thank you, Silver Also, We will have in the show notes a link to the Herzog film. This is, it's, it's just, it's remarkable, right? I mean, the, what could she have been thinking during those nine days? What, what would motivate her, do you think? Well, we're going to um, open this up. We're going to talk to our audience. Yeah. We're going to take a, a, a little break. So uh, this seems like a good point to say, what do you think? Speak up. I will just repeat it into the mic so you guys won't be, you know, on on uh, on it, the hook. We won't feel awkward about it at all because we'll then just cut this out uh, <laughs> from the recorded version if it doesn't. The person from the audience said she had to do it. She uh, she had to go forth. So, do you do you feel like this was uh, the person in the audience that's not on a mic? Do you feel like this was uh, just her assertion of agency? Like you know, she's not going to let this thing destroy her and there's a head shake that says yes which is awesome because he can't talk back to me so he's got to either yes or no it's a binary thing any other thoughts on the girl who fell from the sky yeah that's right so so we we just had someone say that you you just act on instinct and you uh, at the end of the process of being okay you retroactively fit it into a formula and it reminds me alex of something i think we've talked about before which is there's a psychologist who talks about the fact that as you're living your life, you have no idea how everything interacts with everything else. But when you get to the end of it, it reads like a novel. Right. But it didn't read like a novel when you were living it. So that's, that's like the dichotomy of a person sitting very near you speaking in an erudite way who will not be picked up by a microphone, <laughs> but a telephone ringing very far away from you, definitely getting picked up from by a microphone. That is, I, the, that is, that is the correct metaphor. Okay, look, everyone in the room, it's been great. Thank you for listening to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for topics, you can find us on Twitter or on our website, hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com. We look forward to joining you next time. Much gratitude to our multi-talented production team of Jeremy Kaur, Kate Cruz, and Grace Keller, and to our visionary executive producer, Ivan Williams. And thanks also to our art designer, David Wardle, without whom this podcast would be, well, history. Cheers. Cheers.